Another weekend and another episode of the Night Shift, episode 112. Cal Gamard and Mike Stubbs, your hosts, and you can follow us wherever you get your podcast. whether you hear the commercials about it on any of our uh, local radio stations in London, Ontario, or anywhere else about Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music as well. Uh, Mike, no home games this weekend. A little bit of travel for you and a little bit of travel for the London Knights, but that did not seem to slow them down. They uh, finish off the weekend in a very two very different ways but nonetheless two victories for the london knights and the streak continues two more wins streak continues for easton cowan streak continues for sam dickinson and the knights actually have a bigger bulge atop the western conference and the overall ohl standings the focus right now is on the Western Conference standings. You want that number one overall, and instead of it being two points, it's now four points. It was almost six points. We'll talk about that. And then I do have a story, never-before-told story, from the 1995-96 season about something that could have happened but didn't happen but looking back now, remember that was the year the Knights went 360 and 3. It's a very famous season. It has a lot of wild stories to it. This is one that would fit in the wild story category, and it would have put a cherry on top of this season had it happened, but it didn't. We'll have that later on in the podcast. But let's jump in. Two very different victories, just like you said, Kyle. Going into Kingston. The Kingston Frontenacs, I'm rooting for this team. I want the Kingston Frontenacs to find some success. This is such a great market. It should have just an electric feel to it. The downtown is perfect. They have a good fan base, but it's not like everybody is you know, flying into the building and, and sitting down and filling the seats. This is a club that went from 1998 when they won a playoff series and then were beaten by the London Knights in the second round of the playoffs to 2016 without winning a playoff series. So they haven't given their fans a lot to cheer about. Recently, there has been a little bit more. They applied bid for the Memorial Cup and they did not get the Memorial Cup and so that was something that that was at least on the radar. Maybe that would have helped to generate some excitement because I really believe it can be a great hockey market. It's had the Kingston Canadians, even had the Kingston Raiders for a year before they became the Frontenacs. But there's just something that's it's not there. And same thing with their team. There's just some bite that's missing. That ability to push your game to another level. And the Knights were able to go through this one very methodically, almost on cruise control, doing all the things that they do well. And they got some big-time saves from Michael Simpson when they needed them. That was a theme of the weekend. Owen Wilmore did that in Ottawa as well. And they wind up with a 5 nothing victory. Michael Simpson adds to his save percentage, takes his league-leading goals against average down, and now has three shutouts on the season. And he's now one win away from 30. So statistically, great thing for Michael Simpson. Statistically, great thing for the Knights. Easton Cowan hit 25 points in a point streak in that game, and that equaled Sergei Kostitsin, longest since 97-98. We can talk about that later. So, yeah, it was it was a, a cruise control game, but I really hope Kingston finds a way to get that bite into their community sometime soon because I think this is one of those markets that has always existed, but I think the real feel for things 
is still largely untapped because of a lack of overall success. Think about Sarnia last year, Kyle. Look what happened when they made the conference final. That city was electric, and they've carried some of that over into this year. Kingston needs that. They definitely do. And you're right. Like we saw it exhibit a from, you know, a, a franchise that had never been to the uh, West finals before. And all of a sudden they do it. And the entire community rallied around that team. They were such a highly skilled team. You saw the level go up, you know, after all the acquisitions, when Sarnia was all in and you're right. If Kingston can get back to that, that, that point, I feel like Kingston is a great community would be a great spot too. It kind of spreads a little bit and would give a, a nice back and forth feel, but uh, I'm, I'd be really excited to see Kingston really get to that next level and be in that competition, that competitive spot, a team just down the highway from them. The Ottawa 67s have been quite a good team for a few years now and always Mike find a way to play the London Knights tight, but London has had their number for like what? Five, six years now. Going back to 2018, that was the last time that Ottawa had beaten the London Knights going into Saturday. And you're right. They can't finish this thing off in regulation. They can't. Last time they played before Saturday was a game at Budweiser Gardens in October. Knights won it in overtime. Easton Cowan scored the winner. Last year, two shootout wins, a 2-1 game and a 1-0 game where George Diaco scored the only shootout goal. So these teams play each other tight and they don't score a lot of goals. And what do you know? It was one nothing for the longest time. And then the Knights had a two-goal lead going into the third. And in a 44-second span, Ottawa took it away. Great job by the Knights to be able to compose themselves because the Saturday afternoon crowd, we talked about this going into the game, is phenomenal. Families everywhere, kids screaming, and kids screaming, that makes a lot of noise. And so the building was alive after those goals in 44 seconds, and the Knights were able to compose themselves, hang on. Easton Cowan hit a crossbar late in the game, but they go to overtime. Good chances both ways. Owen Wilmore outstanding throughout the game. And again, those saves at key times. And then they go to a shootout and Denver Barkey just ice cold going in using speed. Can we start to look at this? We've seen different methods for the shootout. Some players will go really slow. Some players will go fast. I always think speed gives you an advantage, Kyle. Denver Barkey used some speed and he scored a goal. A lot of other players, they didn't use speed and the puck just wouldn't go in on Saturday. Yeah, it's it's very, it's different. It differs based on the player. A lot of guys think if you're going to go in and you speed, you have a, de- a decisive move of what you're going to do. If you're going in and taking your time, like, uh, you know, players we've seen uh, Patrick Kane slow down their stride a little bit. We've seen uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov of the Washington Capitals do it where he really takes his time. And the reason for it is they're basically just trying to outweigh the goaltender. And it's very difficult for a goaltender to hold their ground and stay disciplined until a player bites on a move. But if you go in with speed and you have a move and sometimes your speed just overwhelms a goaltender, if you don't play it right as a goalie coming back, you don't match the speed. You know, it doesn't matter even if you know what the move is going to be. It still finds a way to beat you. That's happened to me before where I know where the guy's going. He's going to go forehand, backhand, top shelf. But because they're coming in with such velocity, it doesn't matter that I know prior to the puck still goes in because they just beat you with playing out speed. So I like to see a little bit of back and forth that keeps the goalies on their heels a little bit more and doesn't have that same. You know, we see a lot of guys now, Mike, doing the slow and steady and take their time, wait for the goalie to bite and try to get around them. So it's really fun to see 
see a little bit of speed come in there, but you're right. Ice in the veins for Denver Barkey extends this London Knights stretch that they have been on where it is, I believe, Mike, they are 25-1-2 and two in their last 28 contests. The only regulation loss in that time was against the Sioux Greyhounds. And the game before where they lost in regulation, before the streak started, was also the Sioux Greyhounds. So that's really the only team that's beat London consistently, if at all, in regulation. And Kyle, if we look ahead, there is a game coming up between the London Knights and the Sioux Greyhounds on March 15th in London. So there's still one more of those to come. The Knights are going to be home to Oshawa on Wednesday, February 28th. Remember, it's a leap year, so March 1st does not start on Thursday. Got one more day of February, but the way the weather's been, it's not bad. Although I think it's going to feel like February on that Thursday. It's going to be like minus one. Then the Knights will go on the road for three straight. They're playing five of six away from home. So the road record that they have hit now where they're at 21 wins away from home is an important one. They're pretty balanced in wins, home and road. So we'll preview those games a little later on this week, but overall, Yeah, you bet. They're playing well. Easton Cowan is the streak that we're following. Sam Dickinson has one that's now at 10 games. But Easton Cowan's streak has brought about a lot of questions on social media, brought about a lot of questions on by email. And it's, okay, who has the longest streak in Knights history? Everybody keeps talking about Sergei Kostitsin, 25 games, but that only goes back to 97-98. So the CHL has actually put out in a story about Easton Cowan. They've been able to go back before 97-98. So according to the CHL and CHL.ca, Dave Gilmore in the 93-94 season went from October 10th, 1993 to January 14th, 1994, a span of 33 games with at least a point in every game. So according to the league, they've now gone, we always mention, we can go back to 97, 98. That's what's available to the public. The league has now gone back and they have found one. So not Dave Simpson, not Brian Bradley, not Daryl Sittler, Dave Gilmore. And he was an outstanding player for the Knights in the early 90s. So 33 games. So that one is maybe the next one that Easton Calico is looking at. He does have the record now if we look in what we call the internet era because it's at 26 games. And we had a chance to talk with Easton about getting the goals this weekend because he got two goals in order to continue his streak. One late. It was the last goal against the Kingston Frontenacs. And then another one against the Ottawa 67s that allowed him to increase his streak. And, of course, he was playing with Ruslan Gazazov and Denver Barkey, and those are the first people he credited. Uh, You know, kudos to my line mates there, Barks and Gaz. You know, they wanted to get me that, and uh, that that meant a lot to me. But we're looking to keep going here. The game's really hard. (laughs) Is it possible at times if you know someone maybe needs a point for a streak or hasn't scored in a while or whatever it is, is it possible to put your head up and maybe all of you draw up a play in your head that you, you all recognize? at the same time yeah obviously it's hard you know that was a good team and I felt like we had a good game uh, it was big two points for us but yeah just like you said I feel like you know they both told me they were going to get me it so uh, I felt very confident going into my next shift and uh, I got it that shift London Knights forward Easton Cowan on a remarkable streak the other thing we've got to look at is there's there's another marker Brett McLean 
32 games, Brett McLean went for the Oshawa Generals. So that's another one. So there's still stuff to follow if you like to follow streaks. One of the other parts of this, Kyle, is the fact that in those 26 games, Easton Callen's got 20 goals, 29 assists for 49 points. It's not like he has 27 points in 26 games. He is almost at two points per game during a stretch where he has recorded a point in 26 straight games. And the, yeah, you're right. The, the remarkable part is it's so balanced. It's 20 goals and 29 assists. It's not tipping in the scale in one direction or another, or it's not like he like. It would still be impressive if he had 26 points in 26 games. Let's not get carried away in that regard. But the fact that it's been so dominant, that he's been doing it at so many different ways, shorthanded, power play goals, assists, five-on-five play, he's driving plays. It's It's been really fun to watch. Watch And, and Mike, you, you've heard him talk about it. He immediately credits everybody else. It's not about him. The attitude, and I feel like the head on his shoulders is just, it's so well-constructed, and he knows exactly. He's saying all the right things. He's doing all the right things. The hustle is there. He's forechecking in the corners. He's creating turnovers, and that is creating the success that he has had so far. Remember back at the beginning of the year when we talked about players arriving for training camp and having that business look on their face? He was one of the ones that seemed to be most business. And that was when he got back from the Toronto Maple Leafs camp. He was in camp with the Knights for a little bit. And that business face grew even more. So, yeah, this is this is something that he was ready for. And he's not done yet. We'll see where he winds up going with all of this. And then, hey, kudos to Sam Dickinson. Ten-game point streak. And he, like Easton Cowan, almost two points per game. Five goals, 14 assists, 19 points in 10 games to go along with what he does in his own zone. There were three or four times in his own zone where he was able to get away from pressure and make a play. And then there was this other play, just these little things. Watch Sam Dickinson when you're at a game because it's so fun to see the little things he does. There was a play that he made where the Knights had been pressured in their own zone He got the puck, and they were at the end of a shift. So they had to get it deep into Ottawa's end to change. This was in, I want to say it was in the first period or the third period, but they had to get a change. And Sam Dickinson puts the puck off the boards into center ice, almost like a quarterback leading a receiver. And he does it with this little bounce pass. And Landon Sim recognizes it in center and is able to catch up to it because Dickinson put just the right weight on it. So just the right touch. Bounces it off the boards. Landon Sim recognizes the puck is coming and is able to get to it and deflect it down into the Ottawa zone and they get a change. As crazy as it is, that's become such an important part of the game. The Knights were scored on in Ottawa because of that change, because of the rule that does not let you make a line change after you ice the puck because they had a tired line on and Ottawa hemmed them in and Ottawa scored. Good on Ottawa for being able to do it. But being able to get the puck out of your zone and at times have it deflected down into the other end or just have that curling shot that doesn't quite go for icing has become such a skill. In the NHL, off the glass and out, you do that well enough, you have a job in the league. There's going to be curling shot down the ice that doesn't go for icing. You can do that. You're going to have a job in the National Hockey League. 
Mike, I've had multiple people come up to me and ask what my thoughts are on Sam Dickinson and where I think he's going to go and what I think of him as a player. And I said this last year on the podcast, and you can go back and find the clip, but I said, Mike, that he is one of, the be- one of if not the best 16-year-old player I've ever watched, and all he has done and is improved on every facet of his game this year. People who are, are fans of teams that are going to be a, you know, a top 10 pick in the draft and they say, would you take this guy? <laughs> I like without blinking, my guys, I would take him in a heartbeat. I would take him so early in this. And maybe it's because, you know, we not saying we're a little biased, but we, we spend a lot more time on the London Knights than we do other organizations. But it is so fun watching him because every part of his game, he makes look effortless. He's a phenomenal skater. He's physical. He can put up points. He's great defensively. He's got the mindset. He's got the touch. Everything that he does just seems to continuously get better and better. And I, I will continue to say it that he's still one of the best players I've watched in the Ontario Hockey League for a long time. And that's on the ice. Can I tell you a little story? Yeah, please. So early on in the season, Sam Dickinson and I are sitting down doing a quick interview and talking about the Halika Gretzky tournament, actually. So it's going back a little ways. And so he told some stories and we finished the interview and he starts to walk away and he turns around and he says, was that good? And I said, that was amazing. And he said, "Okay, because I want to be good at everything. So that's the attitude that he has, not just on the ice, not just making plays, not just doing what he's supposed to do, but being able to tell stories in an interview and do the media side of things to the best of his ability. He's also cognizant of that. So that's the mindset that Sam Dickinson has. No matter what he's doing, he wants to do it well to the point he's going to ask for tips and pointers to make sure that he is. It's so impressive to hear stuff like that in the world we live in today. It almost like it's you have to be good at everything. You have to be good with the media. You have to be able to let things roll off your shoulder and not let it bother you with Twitter and in all these rumors that come out and big media spotlights and playing for one of the biggest junior organizations in Ontario, if not all of North America. So it's it really is amazing to see. He's got a great head on his shoulders. He's got 19 points in his last 10 games during that stretch. He's going to be a very high pick in the NHL draft upcoming later on this uh, spring. And it's really amazing to hear things like that out of Sam Dickinson. Let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the Knights' lead over the Saginaw Spirit, where it is, what that means, how many games are left, because these two teams, and really the Sioux Greyhounds are still a part of this picture as well. They're battling for top spot going down the stretch. Let's look at what we have between the London Knights and the Saginaw Spirit. They each have 11 games left. So Friday night, the London Knights earned their 5-0 win in Kingston. Saginaw lost at home to North Bay. And then both teams played on the Saturday. So the Knights ended up with their 4-3 shootout win over the Ottawa 67s. Brantford was in Saginaw. Brantford is one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference, along with the Sudbury Wolves. They're kind of battling for top spot. They entered the weekend tied. Brantford led that game against the Spirit early, 2-0. Got a good jump. Then they led 3-1. They are so well coached. They work hard. They were causing problems. Final minute of the second period, Rodwin Dionisio winds up with a goal to make it 3-2. And then Saginaw in the third period with under five minutes left is still trailing 3-2. And they do what good teams do. They scored two goals less than 33 seconds apart. They go ahead. 
<laughs> Del High's Merrick Van Acker ties it to complete his hat trick for Brantford with a minute 40 to go. But Saginaw has still forced overtime at that point. They pick up a point, and then Zane Parekh wins it 35 seconds into OT. So Saginaw did what good teams do. It was almost a six-point bulge atop the Western Conference for the Knights. It's back to four. So what does that mean? Well, Saginaw right now would have the tie break the way that my math adds up. So if they end up tied, there's no one-game playoff or anything. There is a tie break. And Saginaw does own it. They've got more regulation and overtime wins. So let's say that the Knights in their last 11 games, let's just pick a record. Let's say they go 7-4. and four. Sure. The Spirit would have to go 9-2 and two in order to finish first. If the Knights were to go eight and three, and Kyle, you mentioned what the Knights have done recently, 25, one and two. So these are just records we're throwing out there. If the Knights were to go eight and three, the Spirit would have to go 10 and one in order to finish first. So the Knights do have the upper hand. A four point bulge with 11 games left is not much, but you look at the fact because we always do this in, in the NHL standings, especially if you're looking at it. And you say, hey, a team is is only four points out of a playoff spot right now. But you have to remember, the other teams ahead of them are going to continue to play at the same pace that they've been playing at. And so the Knights, yeah, seven and four, that would be more losses than they've had going back to early December. Uh, eight and three, same thing. So those are our records that they could pull off and it shows just how well the spirit will have to play. So the Knights definitely have the upper hand. They just have to keep their own train rolling. They really do. And you're right. Like it's been a lot tighter and you know, the Greyhounds are four points back of the spirit as well. So there's, there's the four point difference there. And then the four point difference between then the spirit and the Knights. So we'll kind of have to see what happens, but like we mentioned like late, earlier in the podcast, Mike, the Knights play the Greyhounds. The Greyhounds have had the Knights number all year long. So that'll be a big game. You know that, you know, the spirit, they don't know who they're going to be cheering for, but if they're trying to catch London, they'd probably want the Sioux to win that one. But that means that they have to keep winning themselves. So it's whatever, it's whatever reaction. There is an opposite reaction. Whatever the saying is, Mike, basically just worry about your own schedule and let the cards play out themselves. If you worry too much about whatever they, what everybody else is doing, what else they have going on, it's like when you're in a race, right? If you're in first place in a race, in a foot race, and you look behind you, all of a sudden people start catching up to you. Why? Because you're out of form. You're not focused on the goal at hand. If you start looking at everyone else around you, sooner or later, they're all going to start catching up. So keep focused on the task at hand. 11 games left to go. If you finish off the way you've been playing throughout the last three months, let's just say the Knights are in a really good spot to finish first. If you start worrying about every other team around you, that's when things start to get a little dicey. Perfect analogy. And that's the way that the Knights try and handle every game is that all one at a time. So next up, the Oshawa generals will preview that one in just a moment. As the night shift continues, the Oshawa generals and the London Knights will meet for the second time very memorable game in the other meeting this season in Oshawa. Under 12 minutes to go. Knights are still on their long streak of gaining at least a point in the game. And the Knights are down 3-0. And they manage to battle back and win 4-3 in overtime. Casper Halton scores twice, sets up Jacob Julian. Easton Cowan finishes it in OT. The Generals were in the midst of a five-game winless slide at that point. Uh, Connor Lockhart was suspended at that point. And there was some stuff going on off the ice that the Generals were obviously dealing with. 
That has now come to an end. Connor Lockhart is back, and the Generals have won three of four. So they come in after a big win over the Barry Colts, 5-2, to two, and the Generals have been playing some good hockey. The Generals are a good team. Remember, when the Knights and the Generals met, Kyle, these were two of the hottest teams overall, the Knights in the East and the Generals in the West in the entire Ontario Hockey League. The Oshawa Generals are that club that maybe started around eighth place, but they caught fire, and now they've climbed up and they should be able to secure home ice advantage in the first round of the playoffs, meaning this is another game that's on the schedule, Kyle, that's not easy. No, and uh, a lot of them down the stretch won't be, but you know, I also want to give a little bit of props to uh, Stuart Roloffs, who is in fact the Oshawa Generals captain. He reached 30 goals for the second consecutive season, 30 goals in 57 games to go along with 53 points, having another very strong year for them. Uh, I always remember him being a really nice individual here in London, just there were so little opportunity and so much competition ahead of him that I really feel like he wasn't given the best chance to maybe succeed. He goes to a team like Oshawa where he gets to play a more prominent role and he's become a 30 goal scorer in this league. So league. So really nice to see him do that. And he'll be a guy that London has to watch. Yeah. He's an example of what the Knights and other organizations will do. If you have a depth chart that is clogged, this is a development league. And you want to make sure that players have the opportunity to develop. And that move to Oshawa did just that for Stuart Roloffs. He's a guy who once beat Liam Foody in a skills competition, fastest skater race. <laughs> Not known for his fast skating, Liam Foody is, but Stuart Roloffs wasn't. And Liam Foody had a little speed wobble, and Roloffs ended up being the night's fastest skater that year. So definitely watch for Stu Roloffs. Okay, Kyle, before we close out, can I go back to 1995-96 and a story that I heard this weekend? Now, we'll still get this verified. One day, one day, we will talk with Greg Capillaro on our podcast, maybe in the summer. And he's the former marketing director of the London Knights who was there in 1995-96. And Capper mm -hmm. tells stories like no one else tells stories. So we'll get this verified, but I'm going to give it to you as I heard it this weekend from someone I bumped into who was also there in that 95-96 season. And if you haven't been following the London Knights all the way back to 95-96, this was the year that they only won three games. The Knights are at both ends of the spectrum in OHL records. They won three games, and that is the lowest total ever. And then they won 59 games, and that is the highest total ever. And so that's quite the distinction. Now, hey, this was before Mark and Dale Hunter purchased the team. But at the same time, we have to remember that three-win team won 12 games and then made it to the semifinals next year. And then under Paul McIntosh and Gary Agnew, who began to build that team, they came within a win of the Memorial Cup. So this was just a down year that went really, really down. And we've told the stories of the game that got rained out because a toilet backed up in the Treasure Island Mall and the borrowing of the Wolf in Sudbury. This team had a lot of stuff going on. I had never heard this particular story before. So here it is. You have to put some context to this. There were a lot of tough guys in the OHL in the mid-90s. And there were a lot of fights. So fighting has changed a lot in hockey. But you had two guys on the London Knights, Justin McPolin and Brandon Sugden, both very tough players, perhaps the toughest players in the league. 
And here is what I heard. As the season began to dwindle down in games, these two approached somebody within the organization and asked a question. Hey, what would happen if the two of us fought? And immediately the individual who heard the question said, well, you know, the, the coaches might let it go and practice for a little while, but they probably break it up. I don't, I don't think you guys should do that. And they said, no, 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 not in practice. What would happen if we went to center ice in a game and fought each other? That was the question. And so, of course, it would it good on the organization for not letting this happen, whoever it was that made this stop. But now here we are, Kyle, almost 30 years later, and you think back to that season. And I lived through that season, and it was a lot of fun. It was. As much as there were only three wins, you never believed that it was going to continue. You always believed the team was going to reel off five or six wins in a row. They just never did. But there were a lot of great people on that team. We'll have to do a big profile of that club when we get to the 30-year anniversary. So good on, good on that. But if we were to look from a storytelling standpoint, the cherry on top of that season may have been two guys on the same team going to center ice. They would have removed their elbow pads. One of them may have taken off his jersey. No way they'd be wearing helmets, and they would have squared off. And knowing those two, Kyle, this fight might still be going almost 30 years later. I don't think anyone would have given up on that. This might have been the longest fight in junior hockey history, but it would have created quite the cherry on top of that season. Fortunately, it never happened, but from a story standpoint, it almost would have made sense. It would have been one of the most talked about hockey moments, I would say, in the history of the sport. Like you can involve the NHL, the KHL, and there could be a top 10 of the wildest moments in hockey history. And that would be right up there. I would argue that would be a number one spot. Never in your life. You hear about these things happening in training camps, in practices where things are going right. Never, ever in a game situation would two guys drop the mitts and go at it? It's a, and it would have been a spectacle, Mike. It would have been <laughs> center rice in a year where a team only amounts three wins and there are so many, you know, ups and downs, whatever the case. That would have been, you're right, Mike, a cherry on top of what the defining moment of that season would have been, would have come to, yep. Of all things, this would be the team where two guys in the middle of a game where you're supposed to be teammates drop the gloves of one another. They wanted not just to make a spectacle. They wanted to know who was the toughest guy in the league, and they felt each one was. And that was the impetus behind this strange thing in those days. Not every game was televised. So even if it had happened, we may not have had video evidence of it. Doesn't seem real right now. The idea doesn't seem real overall. But that <laughs> is a story that I heard this past weekend. Kyle, can't wait to see what happens. Knights and Oshawa will recap that later this week and then set up the Kitchener Rangers and the London Knights and the Flint Firebirds and the London Knights as the Knights are away from home for a little while longer. They are, and this this will be a big road trip for them. They'll finish off with the majority of games at home, but you're right. They're in a stretch where six of their next seven games or the last couple of games included are all on the road, and good thing for the Knights. They have been a very good road team. Let's see if that continues.